Hey, welcome to Gen X Voice. I'm your host, Trish The Dish. Dana, our guest this episode, is a Gen Xer born in 1980, who talks with us about what may have contributed to the helicopter parent, having different generations under one roof, and her disdain for 80s music. Sounds a little more millennial than Gen X, so she may truly be a zenial. You can follow me at Gen X Voice on Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. Check out other podcasts, videos, and blogs at genxvoice.com. Even though the focus of this platform will be to celebrate Generation X, the goal is to interview as many people as possible from lots of generations, backgrounds, and experiences. Let's unpack some of our differences and attempt to discover what truly ties us all together. With so much division and pain in the world today, instead of shutting people down for their age or other features outside of their control, let's listen to these voices and discover common ground so we can come together and create a better world for all. Hi, Dana. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. What have you been doing on your day off? Well, actually, I just got home. And now Ooh, I'm work today? No, we had an outing yesterday, and I had way too much fun yesterday. You went out? Where did you go? Um, we, we just went over to um, Katie and Brent's. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not, not to like a bar or anything. Oh, gosh, no. Oh, okay. No when way. you say outing, it makes it sound like you're going out into the land of the COVID. <laughs> well, <laughs> we kind of live in the land of the COVID, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And you have tomorrow off too? No, I work tomorrow. Oh, yeah. That's too bad. It that's is a bummer. Bad. But at least you, you know, you're not going to have a party night tonight. So you'll be all refreshed and ready for the craziness that is being a nurse yep. in these COVID times. That is the plan. That is the plan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So your day's just been really chill. Yeah. Nursing your hangover. <laughs> I know. Oh, gosh. And it's amazing how many people tell me, have a drink, have a drink. And I'm like, no, I actually feel like I should suffer through this. I did this. <laughs> I don't. Wait, have, have a drink like another drink or have like a, like a water? Hair of the dog. Oh. <laughs> I had four people tell me that today. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done hair of the dog? I did in Vegas. Uh-huh. And do you feel like it helped or? Hell yes. <laughs> the problem with hair of the dog is it makes you feel so invincible because you're just like, yes, it's 10 a.m. and I can go all night. And then, you know, noon happens and you're ready to go to bed again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm like, five o'clock, you are done. You are done. You are not invincible. Yeah. I, I once had a friend visit me in New York City and we got so plastered. And the next morning we went down because I lived over a bar and I also worked at that bar. So the bartenders, you know, we were all friends and everything. And um, and we sat down there and, and, and the bartender that served us drinks all night the night before was like, all right, guys, let's get some Bloody Marys in you. And we were like, no, it's okay. We're, we're, we're good. He's like, come on. And we're like, okay. And so then an hour later, my friend called, um, the airline and, and requested to stay an extra three days in New York city with me. (laughs) (laughs) 
she was like, I can't leave. I gotta stay here in New York. Mm. So it's a new world for me. Like the hair of the dog thing. Oh, but you said that's a new thing for you. So like you didn't do that when you were younger. When I was young, I could not drink alcohol. I had three drinks. I would vomit. I would be hung over until about 5 p.m. The fact that I'm even functional at my age, I, I have no idea. Oh, my gosh. Well, you brought up age. So how old are you, Dana? 39 point something something. I'm going to be 40 in a few days. And so what generation do you most identify with? Because you're really close to being millennial or Gen X. Oh, I've asked myself that question several times, especially since we've spoken. Because, I mean, if you took my childhood, if you took everything that I've been exposed to, I mean, I'm definitely Gen X. Definitely, definitely with the TV, the uh, the, the rabbit ears, the fan in the window, just pretty much all kinds of, of things that I, I know were very generational. You know, I didn't have a laptop. I didn't even have cable for a good portion of my life. But with my children and how heavily involved I am in their life, it's totally towards millennial. Like there, when I look at all the things where I'm like, wow, like those influences that weigh heavily on me are more millennial music, um, especially definitely music. So yeah, music in particular. Oh my gosh. So, um, definitely Kid Cudi. You hear me talk about him Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I love Frank Ocean. I love the fact that he is gay. He is unapologetic. He makes romance music. Um, So I love the very, like, just ambiguous style to, like, that they're able to bring that we could not. So when I look at things where they just, they, they transform music, they transform society, like, the millennials, uh, they're, they're owning that portion, even though they had a bridge. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but I really, I don't know like which one is a heavier influence. Cause I did not like eighties music when I was growing up. Um, I didn't even like boy bands. I loathed and detested boy bands. So when it comes to music, it's all millennial definitely for me, but. But you don't think that artists like, um, Elton John and um, David Bowie and Boy George didn't oh my actually pave the way for artists like Frank, Frank Ocean. That's very that that's true. Now there there is there is definitely a difference between as far as like race, and we won't even like travel on into that. But I had the biggest crush on David Bowie because my mind could not understand why he looked like a woman, but he was <laughs> definitely a man. I was the same with Boy George and um and he confused me so and then you had um Prince who wore you mm-hmm. know these ruffled shirts and high-heeled boots and Boy George or sorry George Michael who I was in love with coming out as gay and it and it didn't even um, concern me. I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> I was so in love with him. I wanted to marry him. Point. You know? That is a great point. My mom was so in love with Prince and I was a little bit young when she was lusting for him in front of me. But I remember thinking, wow, like he looks like a girl. 
like, look how pretty he is. And she wanted everything to do with that. And I kind of felt that way about David Bowie. If he did not wear those tight pants, those tight white pants, (laughs) I might've thought he was a woman. (laughs) Yeah. Because, um, you love labyrinth. Like that's one of your Mm -hmm. favorite Bowie things. Mm -hmm. But I mean, do you feel like you had to grow up super quickly because you had kids relatively young. You have, you have three kids. Um, and how old were you when you had your first and how old were you when you had your last? Oh boy. So I had Noah when I was 15, barely. I remember wondering if I was going to actually be 15. It was kind of like a timing issue. Um, and with Megan, I felt old at 21 having her. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was, to me, it was a huge gap. It was one of those moments where you slap your forehead, like, like seriously. But I mean, I know it's very, very young for most, but I mean, yeah, no, 15 is when I had to shift my thinking. So So um, do do you feel that made you grow up really quickly? You know, to be completely honest, I I think that my mother did that for me because, you know, I know that we've talked a little bit, we've touched on these types of topics, but I mean, I was taking care of my brothers. Um, I was the, probably the most adult person in my house growing up. I had to make sure that they were safe. And, and I was, so no, actually I felt very natural, like felt very naturally into that mothering role. And it felt, that's something I had been doing since I was like 11 years old. Were you the oldest? Yeah. Okay. And you're, and you have two brothers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so how much younger is your, is your brother that's closest to your age? Um, my, my middle brother, he's about five years younger. I call him the middle child. He's, he's absolutely oh. wicked. I'm not that close to him. However, uh, six years difference from me is my youngest brother and that's Tim. And he has, he has said to me that he looks at me as a mother more than as his own mother. So, I mean, I was already a mom, you know, Mm -hmm. but I mean, definitely your life changed drastically from what your peers were doing before you had kids to after. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, um, I've always said that, you know, Noah saved my life because, um, the, obviously the life that I was living was very, very much like what everyone else was doing, sneaking out of the house, getting drunk. And when you're young and you're drinking and you don't really know the consequences of what you're doing, you put yourself in a lot of really shitty predicaments, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so my life changed by that same anchor that all parents experience where it's not about you anymore. You know, you have to get a job, you have to get a good job. And, um, yeah, it's not about you anymore. You can't, you can't party all night. Mm-hmm. And so, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I got, I, I got isolated by a lot of my friends actually. And it wasn't because they didn't want anything to do with me. It's just because I could offer nothing to the experience anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So that, that had to be pretty lonely. Mm-hmm. It but was. You, but you grew up in what you've told me is a multi-generational house, right? So you lived with your grandma, your mom, you and your kids. Yeah. So memories of my life. And, and it's, even though I ran away kicking and screaming, like, Oh my God, please save me. 
it still was like, we did that on and off throughout my, throughout me growing up. It was always so many different people and it was pretty awesome. So now your kids live at home with you and you also have your partner's kids who are much younger than your kids. So do you feel right at home having again, this multi-generational home? I do. But of course, my concern is, is how my partner feels, because I don't know that this is something that I was conditioned for. This was my life. You know, it took a, it took a long time for pick your battles to really matter to me. So that's something that you, you know, I, I don't know. I worry about my partner's comfort. This is very comfort, like very comfortable for me because like I, like I was saying the other day, I love having, I love having freshness in the house and I'm sorry, but you just do not get that without the youth. You got to have people sprinkling in their music and in their culture and you just, you have to have that just to keep, it's almost like watering plants. Right. So I totally dig the fact that we've got, we've got babies, my children, they're babies to me, you know, seven, eight, nine, whatever, they're all babies. But you know, the 24 year old, the 22 year old, that is so wild to me. I never thought like 15 years ago that I would be in this situation. (laughs) Even just you asking me and forcing me to think about it. It's like, holy sh! Oh, I, I never thought that I would be doing this, but I mean, you you can say shit. Remember (laughs) I heard you pause. I heard you go, Holy shoe. (laughs) So let it it rip girl. (laughs) I'm I'm trying not to be, you know, my derelict self when it comes to curse words. (laughs) Um, So your children kind of range from um, millennial to, uh, Gen Z or iGen, we're still not sure what to call them. Um, and we definitely don't even know what to call, um, the littlest ones. Can you tell generational differences within your children and the kids that now inhabit your home? If I had, if I had to draw one contrast between any of my children, it would obviously be the boys are older, so they're 24 and 22, and Megan is 18. Now, Megan is a very special 18-year-old. Is the fact that I have kind of hovered over her because her safety awareness alarmed me at a very young age. However, that's not the point. Um, she, Noah and Owen still got to go places without me. They still had some of that jump on their bike and go do their thing like I had. Walk to school, have a partner when you walk to school, stay out of the road. I, I had full and total trust, and it was completely an expectation that they would walk to work or school or wherever they went. That was fine with me, even throughout their life. Um, Megan is definitely... Um, definitely like a me, 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 me. And, 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 and that could just be a, her thing. It's kind of like, I like she, she works less than a mile away and I, I won't let her walk. And how am I, so, well, there's no food. What am I supposed to eat? And I'm like, well, there's a bunch of food in there. So there, there definitely is a difference as far as the maturity level and the ability to kind of feed herself or take care of herself or just be responsible for her own safety. Do you think that's because the like the United States culture, like 
just the um, our society has shifted, or do you think it's because you're more aware of how delicate your children are? Maybe that you didn't have, be- maybe you weren't as aware before. I'm not proud of it, but I think it's because she's a girl. Really? Yes. Do you feel worried or concerned, or at least when she was hovering around the age where you um, became pregnant, were you scared that, that she would be doing the same things that you were doing at her age at that time? I wasn't scared that she was going to do the same things as me because she's a lot smarter. She's a, she, she really is a lot smarter in some respects. But what I was afraid of is that I knew she was going to she was going to be exposed to the same things that I went through. Men staring at her. Um, I, you know, the cat calling, the cat calling that we all just kind of expect. Um, that was pretty dirty. And I remember, and, and, and what really just really made me overprotect her was, you know, sexual abuse. And most women have had it. And that's, that is the worst part about this is I, I don't even have to wonder. I know it's just when. So then I actually felt like I had control over that, you know, when she would be exposed to some, you know, 45-year-old pervert and she's 13 years old, you know, making comments about her boobies, you know. So um, it, it really does. I'm not proud of it, but it really does come down to I've I, I mean, it's just a matter of when it's going to happen, you know. So I was very overprotective of her. Were you concerned about some of the clothes that she wore or did you let her express herself and not be ashamed of her body? I kept my mouth shut unless her nipples were showing. (laughs) (laughs) The only time I feel at liberty to say anything is when her nipples are showing. And that, and that, and that is just because it's distracting. I'm like, babe, people are going to be, other women are going to be looking at your nipples. How their nipples, you know? Uh Uh-huh. But you you feel that's different than like cleavage or um, shorts being too short. I, I really try not to say anything because I don't want to shame her. And, 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 and I don't want to give her the impression that she lives in a world where she can't do the things that she wants to do. It is, it is a dance act back and forth. It's like, what are we, what are we doing today? Like, how much do I want to, she's better now, obviously, you know, the situation, but she's better now because she, she covers up quite a bit, but I I feel bad asking her to cover up. I mean, but the world that it's being a girl, it sucks. Did your, did your mom kind of um, encourage you to be more modest with your dress or was she a lot more free? My mother was an Amazon crazy woman. So she, (laughs) she was completely free with, with everything. But one thing that my mother did to me is she held me accountable for the inappropriate advances that I would get that I would never hold my daughter accountable for. Oh, really? Why, why not? Because if I'm 13 years old and a man three times my age is staring at me and following me in the grocery store, I don't feel like that's a reflection of anything that I've done. I don't feel like it's a reflection of anything that my daughter's done. I feel like that man is disgusting and he needs to be held accountable. So like my mother gave me the accountability versus, well, you shouldn't be wearing that. Or, you know, did it was always like, I'm... I'm too sexy. 
Like I'm being too wow. sexy. Yeah. She was, she was quite the piece of work. So did that make you feel just that you had to be really modest with the way that you dressed or, or were you like, Oh, fuck you, mom. I'm going to do whatever I want. No, I liked being modest. I did not like people looking. I, I, I felt like it was a lot easier to be a wallflower. I really did. Like, I, I really don't want, I even still feel that way. I don't like the attention. I don't like my boobs hanging out. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's so funny talking to you because you know me. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. You wear, you know, uh, a, like five layers when it's 110 <laughs> degrees outside while we're sitting out by the pool. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Like, it, it's so funny even trying to explain that because like, it's so intimate, you know, I cover myself and it has nothing to do with like me feeling like I'm too sexy. It just literally is like a, see my face and nothing else. I'm yeah. cool with that. Well, is your mom considered a baby boomer? I mean, because she liked Prince, um, but she was obviously wasn't 10 years old like I was when Prince came on the scene. I don't know. Um, so what, what she's, was she born? she was born in like 64. Whoa, she's a Gen Xer. Yeah, um, she was really Whoa. young when she had me as well. She was like 18 years old. So my friends loved my mother. They loved her because she partied, she danced. She was, she was one of the wildest of my family, of her friends. She loved bringing people around that were uncomfortable. Like she was one of the first people in our, in, in her small town to date outside of just a white man. You know, my, my, my father, my family tried to kill my father because he was Mexican, but, um, yeah, no, my mom, she was a trailblazer in a lot of respects. She was just very emotionally labile and unstable. So you talked a little bit about being a hovering parent. Do you think some of the reason why you're like that is because of your desire to protect your children because they're biracial as like you are? Actually, um, no. I've always had a very, I I mean, I've always been fearful of when you're around too many of one race, which is what I've always tried to expose my children to getting them around diversity because no one should expect to only be one way. That's, that's where you fall into hate groups. That's where you start getting. So I don't know, maybe yes and no, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your kids suffer from being biracial, especially during the time that we're in right now with so much um, racial tension in the United States? Absolutely, because it has to be a problem to them. They don't have the option of it not being an issue. They have to take awareness. They have to pay attention. They have to consider not getting pulled over. It it is so funny because the only thing that it exposes them to is is ignorance is not an option at all. Like most of us can sit there, you know, we like, we have all like mostly white friends. We don't have to worry about getting pulled over. We have nice cars. Our, our tags aren't expired. You know, when you're forced to be drug into a problem, then, then that's probably the only time I've ever felt like my children's race might've been a detriment, but is it a detriment? Is it a detriment at all? It's really not, you know, they just don't have the option of sitting in their suburban home 
and not paying attention. Can you tell if their experience growing up biracial is different than how you grew up biracial? They are growing up different than what I did, but the difference is it's, so I don't look Mexican. So I got a lot of racism from my family. It was a lot of, you know, like he's a spick, he's a wetback, all kinds of just terrible, terrible things that come from really, really deep, like white families in the middle of the Midwest with no other influences whatsoever, you know? So, um, they don't have that in the family at all because they have been blessed with being just surrounded by people who have accepted them where I did not. It didn't come, mine didn't come from the world because I didn't look like I was Mexican. I look white and I'm fine with that. They obviously look black. And, um, I was kind of worried moving, moving to this area that we're in. Um, they haven't got as, got as many job offers and, and that's been all of them, not just a couple. So I'm pretty sure that when it comes to um, it comes to the things that they like, the job interviews that they have, and you know, like the opportunities that they have. I mean, they're definitely th- their situation's different, just because I look white, they don't. Right. Do you feel that you're raising them totally different than your mom raised you? Oh, completely. Um, so my mom wasn't, she, I raised myself and I am way overly involved in raising my children, which is why I I think it's funny when I always talk about like the parental guilt and the hovering that our generation does, because we didn't necessarily have anybody hover over us, which is why we're incredible thinkers and the resilience that we have. And, yeah, the latchkey kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of resilience that comes with that. That I that I don't. I mean, I'm way over involved, and sometimes I feel guilt about that. You know, what what would you feel guilty about being too involved? Where is their strength going to come from if they don't have conflict resolution? Um. I'm more than willing to jump in and try to solve conflict for most of the people that I love. This isn't even my children. I feel a heavy duty to do that for people that I care about. But I, the, the reason that I am the way that I am is because no one did that for me. So the guilt comes from my children. How, what if I, what if I die? You know, that's always like every hovering parent. Like if I die, are you going to know how to go out there and figure out there's groceries? That if you put them together, they make things. <laughs> <laughs> have you never have you never taught your kids how to cook or go gro- grocery shopping? Or are you just using that as like a wild example? <laughs> well, I feel like I have, Trish. I feel like I've I've shown that they know how to make the things that they grew up eating. But it's just <laughs> funny that when I go and I spend two hundred dollars on groceries, that I can pretty much have every kid be like, "There's nothing to eat," and I'm like. Are you serious? There are so many things that you could pull together in there. That that's what I mean. I don't know if I've done it justice. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like I remember cooking at like such a young age because no one was around. So like you know seven or eight, and just making my own food. Um, but how old were your kids when you brought in a computer into the home? 
I really don't remember. I, I kind of feel like it was when I kind of feel like it was when they were in elementary, but it was not theirs. It was this big old janky desktop, you know, probably the cheapest that was available. Um, and they didn't even need it at that point. So yeah, I, it must've been when they were in elementary school. Did you grow up with a computer or video games? No. In your we, so we had a, we had a super Nintendo. And the only reason I re- remember that is blowing into the games. I had been <laughs> sticking them in there trying to make them work. I've never been a big gamer. So, um, Mario is all I remember. No computer growing up as Gen X. So your exposure to computers was at school. Yes. <laughs> the reason that I hesitate with that is that I was in in school suspension most of the time. So. <laughs> right. And didn't you also say that you um, that you dropped out? Yes, I did. I dropped out like three times. It took for me to just kind of, hey, it's going to be better for you to get your GED at this point because, like, you're going to be, like, the mom parent, like, for these kids that are, you're, like, three years behind. So, yeah, I did. Which is a really remarkable thing to now know that you are um, working toward going into a master's program for nursing so at what point did you decide, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to become a nurse? That was almost right away after having my children because I it, it, it sounds very romantic to say that I wanted to help people, but really what I wanted to do was feed my children. Like I need, it's time for car payments, it's time to get rid of these janky things that can't get you to work. And it's time to step up. So, I mean, I was a nurse by the age of 20, obviously. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't have my associates. I had a, you know, practical nursing degree, but. But did you feel any remorse when your daughter also decided to drop out of school? No, not at all. And the reason behind that is because my grandmother, she is a boomer through and through. But she used to tell me there's a hundred ways to get every one thing accomplished. You don't have to take the same path as everyone else to be successful. She not only told me that, but I felt that she was, she instilled that in us very, very greatly. And her confidence gave me confidence. So I don't wonder about her ability to be successful or, you know, have a great job because I know Megan, I know my daughter, I know she's going to do whatever she wants to do, but no, I mean, a high, like, not, not at all. She, there's so many different levels and so many like things that we can do with ourselves now. And then you look at people who, who finish school, they get these degrees and then they're unemployed, you know, right. on everything. Right. So mm-hmm. not at all. That's awesome. Well, Dana, I'm going to go ahead and start the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. What's your favorite memory from childhood? Um, my favorite memory from childhood are with the fan in the window, listening to thunderstorms roll in, wondering if there was going to be a tornado. Oh yeah, that's an Illinois lifestyle for sure. <laughs> Love it. I have those same ones. Um, and what's your favorite '80s band or song? Oh, favorite '80s band. '80s? Does it have to be '80s? <laughs> Come on now. If you're Gen X, I can't even believe you would ask that. 
I don't know because I hated eighties music. All right. Let me think about this. Um, the only thing that I really remember rocking out to was Barracuda. I remember that. Oh yeah. That's hard. But that song came out in the (laughs) seventies. Okay. Let's try again. Um, well, I love this. You're the first Gen Xer to be stumped on the favorite eighties. Oh gosh, because I've loathed it like eighties music. Like I can pick some really old bands, but I mean, okay, well let's go with quiet riot. I said, I really love them at one point. (laughs) Okay. What about your favorite eighties film? Oh my gosh. Labyrinth. Oh, right. Of course. Yes. And um, what was your favorite music as a teen? Um, Favorite music as a teen. Well, it was definitely hip hop. um, And there is no mistake in that. I love, I loved Tupac. I loved Biggie Smalls. So whatever, whatever generation that puts me in, I was one of those kids. We, we thought they were poets. We didn't think they were musicians. We thought they were poets. Right. Right. Yeah. I've, I've heard you talk about Tupac with such love, um, before. Um, and then, um, so we, we already talked about what inspired you to go to college. It was basically to feed your children, but what, what makes you want to keep going? Or why didn't you go to college at first? Well, that experience was dead to me because I had kids. That was one thing that did used to hold a lot of remorse is I was like, I'm never going to have the traditional experience and you move out and you go to school. But I never was going to have that experience based on my lifestyle. I mean, my mom kicked me out when I was 14. So there's no real special goody goody feelings to for me like, oh, the first time that I'm on my own and I live on a you know, in a dorm, on a university, I, I did used to look at it. I, I wanted that for my kids only because I didn't have it, but I still didn't see much value in it. Um, okay. So what, if you had advice to give someone in a different generation than yours to help them through the dark times or even just life advice, what would that be? Well, As my children have pointed out, I really suck at giving advice because I'm always a person that tells people to be empowered. Like you're the creator of your own universe. So, you know, there's really, we all kind of go through points, you know, where we're weak and we can't do anything. And like, I mean, because your situation, like my situation was horrible. Right. Um, you know, my, I got kicked out. I had, I mean, I am like the, the typical, like if you were to hear a really sad story about what someone could do with their life, I mean, I would be it. Like I am that dynamic. Like I dropped out of school. I had children as a teenager. They were biracial. Um, and then everything beyond that had to come from me. So when it comes to me giving advice to people about, you know, how to strive and how to succeed and how to get through things, I don't even know what to say because for me, it's always, you got to do it. And it sucks because it sounds up the, the it sounds like the lace up your bootstraps, but it's really not. It's, there's, there's so many options out there for people like me. I used every government subsidy that I could, and I didn't use it to live and be comfortable. I used it so I could go to school. 
I've the only time I've ever used it looking back at it is so I could go to school when I went back for my associates. All of my children had Medicaid because I couldn't carry them on my insurance because at work it was like $700 a month. So, I mean, I, I guess there it is. Use your resources. Those resources that sound so terrible, if you're using them to, to, to gain a better position in life, that's what they're there for. But, you know, Dana, you, you say that you are this terrible story, but I think that you forget that you're almost 40 years old and you've accomplished so much with so little. And, you know, I just want to kind of remind you of that because that's actually a wonderful story instead of a negative one. I mean, that's that's true, but I, I, I almost feel like a self-fulfilling prophecy for what my family used to tell me growing up, my, my mom, her children and my family, if we were her kids, we were already doomed. We already had that going for us. Like we were her kids. So obviously I had the same, I had the same growing up. Yeah, (laughs) You're just like your mother. You'll never amount to anything, but that's not, that's not what happened to you, though. And, it, and it's really not what happens to most that grow up in that situation. You're just kind of written off. But, you know, when you go through all those things, that's when you start to realize, like, how powerful you are. Like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I got to do. I think that's pretty amazing, Dana. I think that was the best advice. Okay, Dana, well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. <laughs> it, was, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be an army.